0: Everybody, welcome to Facecast. Welcome back to Facecast after far too long away. Uh, new episode, new topic, new energy. Uh, the topic this week is uh, well, it toes a fine line between uh, connections between social media culture. Uh, and and what we as humans, and we specifically, or particularly, Americans uh, want from uh, from our government. Uh, so bear with me here a bit as I try to make some some connections that uh, that, are, that are seemingly disparate topics in in, in many ways. Uh, remember, Facecast still your home. Um, Still, your home for social, historical, and educational commentary, uh, based primarily on my 14 years as a professional educator. Um, please also remember to check out my website. It is experientialstudy.com. There's a new blog post based on uh, on this episode coming on there soon. There's some unique online learning experiences. Um, and, and courses covering uh, you know, such diverse topics as the origins of American government. Which we'll look at somewhat the American government, at least today, um, as well as world history, approximately 10,000 BC to 600 BC. Um, uh, we're looking at you know agriculture. <laughs> um, you're also going to find a variety of educational, uh, philosophical books there that have informed my teaching over the last... 14 years um, also big news um, book my book coming out July 2022 um, and, and essentially it's on how experiential education is going to fix or at least I suggest is how it's going to fix so many uh, of our societal problems really excited about this project um, in the final stages right now with the editors and the publisher um, and, and it's coming this summer it's it's, it's coming for sure um, remember, if you have any questions uh, from this episode or from previous episodes, um, please do not hesitate to get in touch with me. Um, if we're friends uh, on social media, hit me up in the, um, in the DMs on Instagram. Uh, it's at face0514. Or you can email me, b- bafacemeyer at icloud.com. Make sure you go on YouTube, smash the like and the subscribe button. Um, YouTube channel is Face0514 as well. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you access your favorite podcast content these days. All right, topic for today stems from class discussion um, uh, in U.S. government. Uh, We're we're studying the executive branch and the topic today is the expansion or the growth of presidential power. Six factors that we identified as playing a role uh, in contributing to the growth of presidential power. Number one is the unity of the presidency. Number two uh the authority delegated to the executive by Congress um, three citizens demand for leadership four presidential ability to act quickly during a crisis five presidential views on the Constitution and his role uh, and six presidential ability to use the media effectively all right so let's let's talk about a talk about a couple of these, uh, primarily the connections between three and four, citizens demand for leadership and presidential ability to act quickly. Um, I contend that the, the connections between these two are deeply connected to uh, the modern phenomenon, uh, relatively modern anyway, phenomenon of instantaneous access uh, to information we've been conditioned we've been programmed at this point through our social media feeds um, to expect instant access and therefore uh, because we have instant access um, we should also expect instant solutions Um, and that has led to a portion of our society, not just in the United States, but across the across the world, you see more rise in populism and a rise in nationalism. But it's, it's moved people towards preferring autocratic rule. Um, in an autocracy, one person makes the decisions. End of conversation. They rule by decree. There's no input from any legislative body. Um, And certainly there is no input from the people. These systems are not based on popular sovereignty. In a democratic republic, such as our own, um, guess what? It doesn't work like that. That's not the way it's meant to work. It was never meant to work that way. Our system is messy. Democracy is messy. And yes, I'm aware that it's technically not a democracy, but the colloquial term that most people recognize our system as a democracy, so I'm going to use that. Um, but but compromise is necessary for politics to work. That's the system we have. That's the genius of the system that we have, that, that they built. Um, so our instant access to information has made us antsy for instant uh, and oversimplified solutions, to incredibly complex problems in society, and culture, in politics, and quite simply, our system doesn't work that way. It's not supposed to work that way. Um, you want to know what type of system works that way? Autocracies work that way. Dictatorships, oligarchies, totalitarian government systems work like that. That's not a system I want to live in. I like complex. I don't like simple. And I particularly don't like over-simple. So that brings me, um, sort of connected, uh, to this concept of the executive order, right? And to, to, uh, to a little trivia question. Where, uh, what article of the constitution can you find the executive order? I'll wait. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's right next to the part about judicial review. Yeah, it's not in there. Um, now, through various uh, interpretations of the implied powers doctrine, uh, you can find it if you look broadly enough, but it's not explicitly in the constitution. Now, to hear the media tell it, uh, there's, a, there's an ongoing epidemic of presidential overreach. Um, Through the use of the executive order. Um, Which, if you look at the numbers, isn't really true. I mean, you have to go back to James A. Garfield. Who was the 20th president of the United States, elected in 1881. Who issued a total of six before he was assassinated. After about 200 days. That's how far back you have to go to find somebody who issued, wait for it less than a hundred right his successor Chester A. Arthur issued 96 but Chester A. Arthur came into office after Garfield died and uh, was assassinated Chester A. Arthur comes in with a secret he's dying of a fatal kidney disease he all he does is serve out Garfield's term so under four years he issues 96 in the remaining years of that Garfield presidency uh, and he's not renominated. So every single president since uh, the Garfield, Chester A. Arthur situation, um, has issued well over a hundred executive orders. I think the lowest somewhere in the neighborhood of 113, um, but well over a hundred during their terms of office. FDR alone issued 3,721 for the all time record of, uh, 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 of, of executive orders. Now he served like a month or something into his uh, uh into his fourth term, which is unheard of, obviously. But uh, nevertheless, that is a rapid rate of executive ordering. Um, President Biden, if we're interested today, has is issued eighty-two about halfway through the first term. History lesson aside, this all this all connects back to each individual president's views on how the Constitution should be interpreted broadly which means well the Constitution doesn't really say I can't do it so I could probably do it this is how we end up with the National Bank for instance or strict construction which is what Jefferson would like to think of himself as even though He really wasn't. When the rubber hit the road, he purchased a third of a continent. So it's how they think of themselves in the role, the particular philosophy that they bring to each of their roles in our system that really plays a role in determining how they will use their executive power. All right. The last one I want to talk about uh, is the presidential ability to use the media. Okay, this is particularly interesting. Now, you go back to the election of 1800 and, you know, every time that our country goes through one of these spasmodic, divisive moments like we seem to be uh, currently living through, um. Everybody talks about, well, the election of 1800 was incredibly divisive, and we fought a whole civil war, and we're not there yet. Okay, that's true, but does that make this any better? Probably not. But if you go back to Jefferson, the election of 1800, he's running against John Adams, his old friend. And what does Jefferson do? He uses the media very well. Uh, he hires, a, uh, essentially, a, a newspaper hitman um, to attack his Federalist enemies in the newspapers. Um, okay. Keep in mind now how visual of a culture we have become due to our constant access to social media. Recall as well that for a significant portion of our nation's history, no one knew what the president looked like. No one ever saw him. No one ever wanted to see him. Nobody cared. What the president looked like. Couldn't pick him out of a lineup if your life depended on it, most likely. Now, TV changed all that. But before, before TV, there was a radio. And FDR's fireside chats came directly into your home. And it was like he was sitting there. as Your family gathered, as they do now around televisions or whatever. They gathered around the radio and they listened to FDR. And what was FDR doing? He was exercising power. He was in your living room. He was talking directly to you. Madison. Rolling in his grave if he knew this was happening. Much less uh, much less presence communicating directly with people and individuals on Twitter. But FDR's fireside chats come into your room, it provides you with what? It provides you with a sense of comfort a sense of belonging an incredibly difficult time uh, for most Americans in the depression era America fast forward to the televised debates uh, between Kennedy and Nixon in 1960 and the people who listened to this is such an interesting story the people who listened to the debate on radio come to the uh, conclusion that Nixon wins the debate. The people who watched it on TV come to the conclusion that Kennedy wins the debate, right? Why? Because we're becoming a visual culture at this time. We're becoming a visual culture. Kennedy is a new breed of politician. He's got PR people. He's got marketing people. He's got makeup artists, right? Nixon looked like an old hag and Kennedy looked like a like a young, fresh, energetic young man ready to take on the world, Nixon didn't. Um, That's us becoming a visual culture. Now, times that by a thousand, and that's what we have uh, with social media, right? So we're an incredibly visual people. We succumb so willingly to these endless social media feeds Everyone, one in which we're comparing ourselves to somebody else's curated life right that's right the curated version it's the one on display it's the one where you go to the museum and you see what's on display when you see the curated version of the display you don't get to see the chaos behind the scenes right Nobody puts on social media the toddler meltdown and target this week, okay? That's not the curated version. That's real life. That doesn't make it into your social media feed. And so what happens uh, when we compare ourselves in this way? Well, we surrender our power as people. Uh, in a system that depends entirely on our ability to exercise our power. We surrender our power. We surrender our ability to think critically about the world around us. We surrender our power, ultimately, to seek complex solutions to complex problems. Go think about it. Hit me up on Instagram DMs with questions or BA facemire at iCloud.com. Make sure to follow an Apple Podcast, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you get your favorite podcast content. And don't forget to smash the thumbs up and the subscribe button on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash face0514. Thanks, y'all. Uh tune in next week for more.